I think there are times in our Christian lives that all of a sudden we watch certain information um, just kind of coming up over and over again, and we all of a sudden realize that maybe we need to stop for a second and and take a look at this information. I have been quoting on a more regular basis than I probably realize a couple verses in the book of Romans lately. I've been really taken with these verses. And so instead of jumping back into Genesis, and to be honest, I'm a little intimidated by where we are in Genesis, um, I'm supposed to read 70 names the next time we get together and study Genesis. Um, Noah and all his family, you know how much I love that. Um, but God just kind of had me, put me on pause the last couple of weeks, and he just laid it on my heart. There was a passage that we needed to camp on for a bit because you've been hearing me talk about it, and so probably it would be good just to speak, take some time to, to camp on what these verses say. I think then in every one of our lives, as we study God's word, and I encourage you to be doing that on your own, and as if you even come across verses, I, I like to say they are the verses that God spiritually highlights to me. As I'm reading his word, all of a sudden there's just certain verses that it's just like they start glowing without even the highlighter being there. And I find myself lingering over these verses. And then something even greater happens is that sometimes I take a look at those verses and I say, I should have these inside my heart all the time. And so I memorize these verses. The verse that we're going to go today was one of those kinds of verses where as a teenager I learned the verses. I was kind of told at a camp I had to learn the verses. But over the years these verses just keep on washing over me. Romans is an interesting book because in the book of Romans, it's not always an easy read, but for the first 11 chapters, Paul lays out a detail of the reality of what we believe, and he also historically sets it in the reality of us making this switch from being a a religion that was driven by a Jewish thinking to a a religion that's driven by a Christian thinking. So for 11 chapters, he's explaining in great detail to the Roman Christians these things. Then he comes to chapter 12, and he starts with the word, therefore. In light of all this great information that I have given you, there is a way that I want you to live. There are, in Paul's writings, I think 86 different times where he uses the word therefore. It's always, in light of something I've already said, I therefore urge you to do something else. Or in light of what you said, this is how you live it out. I'm going to move from the theological to the practical. In light of all this information, what do we now do with this information? I I think it's not even... A surprise that we just sang a song about how wonderful Christ is and how wonderful that name is and the impact of that name because that's what the first 11 chapters of Romans do. And all of a sudden you get to chapter 12 and verse 1 he starts with the word therefore and he's talking about the fact that if we are in Christ that all of a sudden we are new. We're not the same. We're different. We're new. 
Let's read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I appeal to you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is your spiritual worship. Romans 12.1. He says this. He says, in light of everything I've taught you, I appeal to you. I urge you. This is what I would like you to do. I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is your spiritual worship. He wants them to have forever a different perspective. And the different perspective that he always wants them to have is he wants them to remember the mercies of God. He said it this way in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Mercy. What you deserve. How hard you work today. Your ability would give you the ability to have death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's urging them in light of this new perspective, this new place they live, that there is a way that they should live differently. But we have to remember the mercy of God. I think we take it for granted sometimes, don't you? He'll always forgive me. I'm always okay. I'll work on that sin. Next week, spiritual procrastination. I know that I'm not where I'm supposed to be, but you know, I did ask Jesus into my heart. Sanctification gap. He is challenging them in light of this reality of God's great mercy, of Christ's incredible sacrifice, that there is a way that we should live. And he explains it this way. He says... that we are now holy and acceptable to God. Okay? That's really hard for me to fathom because I don't feel very holy most days. How about you? I have holy moments. They're usually quite short. But we aren't holy and acceptable to God because of anything we've ever done. We're holy and acceptable to God because what Christ did, what does it say in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20? I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so the reality is, is that we need to understand that because we have possibly asked Jesus Christ to be our Savior, if we've done that, that we are holy and acceptable to God. Now, these are interesting words because these were words that were used somewhere very often in the Old Testament. It was the way they would describe the kind of sacrifice they were supposed to give God, right? In the Old Testament, when you went to the temple, 
you didn't go to the second-hand store first to get a second-hand lamb, to get the one that's slightly damaged, small imperfections. No, you were supposed to give your very best to the Lord. What was holy and acceptable, without blemish or spot. And in this, Paul is giving us this picture that instead of being unacceptable, we are completely acceptable to God. Now that's still hard for so many of us to fathom. We've always been kind of kind of ramp up. There's a part of our lives that are completely defined by the deficits of our lives. You know, we talk about being kind of a procrastinator, or I'm a little bit too OCD, I'm a little of that. You know, we label ourselves by our deficits. But on this day, in light of the great, great thing that God did by having Jesus Christ die on the cross for us, he wanted us to understand that we are holy and acceptable to God. You see, there are some people that they don't think they can do anything for God because they're not good enough. They're second class. They don't amount to enough. Instead of seeing themselves as holy and acceptable to God, they see shame and they see regret. They see disappointment. They see not measuring up. That's what they see. They feel like it's, it's that time of the year where every one of you, probably um, a great deal of you, have a job evaluation. Okay? Where they set up the standard of things that people never really ever did, and they say, we're going to grade you on all these things. Instead of saying, and, and, it, and it can be very disheartening, or, or it can be really wonderful. But that's how we feel. And when God says that in John chapter 3, verse 17, it says, we are his workmanship created by Christ Jesus to do good works, we go, well, but I'm not holy and acceptable enough. I'm not talented enough. I, I don't have what it takes. And we forget how God sees us. Therefore, in light of God's great mercy, I urge you to see yourself as holy and acceptable to God. Why does he say this? He says this because he wants new action. He wants us to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Now, this is a weird picture that we're not as familiar with anymore. We don't have many altars where we are killing animals and, and sacrificing them other than barbecue, okay? Um, and that would be the closest thing. But we don't do that for religious reasons. We do that just because it's real good, and we like it, okay? But for religious reasons, their whole lives were driven by this reality that they had to give their very best to God to do two things. Either to be right before him again, because it was an atoning sacrifice, okay? Uh, it was redemptive. Or it was a time of celebration. The Passover was a time of celebration where they celebrated the fact that God took care of them. But every one of those involved barbecue for the Jewish people. There was always an animal dying so that they could celebrate. That was their reality. 
God is calling us to a different kind of thing. God is saying that because of what Christ did for you, because of God's great mercy for you, I urge you to give your life as a living sacrifice. We understand the word sacrifice. We don't particularly like it, do we? Well, you know, I, I had to give this up. I had to let set this aside. I had to decide I wouldn't do this anymore. And we speak of it with great sadness like it was a small funeral in our lives, don't we? Sacrifice feels like a funeral. But Paul was challenging them that I want you to give your lives, surrender your lives, surrender who you are as a living sacrifice. It's interesting that he uses the word body there because in their culture, there was this idea that body and flesh is bad, spirit is good. And he intentionally uses the word body because when we ask Jesus Christ to be our Savior, all of a sudden body is good. <coughs> and it can serve our good God. So the first thing that he gives us is he gives us this idea of a new perspective. And that new perspective calls us to action. I urge you as brothers and sisters in Christ to sacrifice for your Lord. That's what he's saying. He goes on from there, and he goes to verse 2. And this is probably the one I've been quoting more lately. In verse 2 he says, <coughs> well, I almost missed an incredible part of this. He also gives them a reason why it's important. Excuse me while I get a drink here. He calls it, their spiritual worship. One of the other translations says, this is your reasonable worship. It's interesting because the word in Greek actually probably is better explained by the word reasonable. In other words, here's the reality. Because of God's, God's great mercy for you, it's reasonable that you would sacrifice your life to serve your God. It's a reasonable thing to do. It just makes sense. Because God gave so much for you, it makes sense that you would respond by giving back to him. And we do this in life all the time. Think about this. How many times when you take somebody out for lunch do they say, I'll get it next time? Okay? They appreciate going out for lunch with you, but they don't want you to pay all the time. So they say, hey, this was a lot of fun, uh, 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 but, but let me pay next time. Okay? Or how many of you, when you do something wonderful for somebody, they go, if there's anything you ever need, just let me know. Because I would love to do something for you. That's how our hearts naturally react to goodness is we want to be good back paul is reminding us of how good god was so it'd be just reasonable that we'd want to be good back so that's new perspectives opinion 
Romans 12, verse 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good, acceptable, and perfect. First, he says, I I want you to give your life as a living sacrifice because of the mercies of God. Now he's telling them that he not only wants them to have a new perspective, but he wants them to have a new operating system. How many of you get frustrated when all of a sudden your computer says, we want to update your operating system and give you a whole bunch of new things that it never did before? My iPhone does this all the time. It says, ooh, iOS 12, it'll be wonderful. You'll be able to cross your eyes and do the following things. And if you touch just a little harder, it will do 3D touch and we'll do this and all of these kinds of things. And it's saying, this is so much better. And most of us are still using it the same way it was with that iOS 6. Because we know how to do those things. My wife came to me the other day and she says, do you know that if you push down on the space bar, you can move anywhere on the page. And I said, yeah, I know that. Isn't that awesome? We never were able to do that before. But you know what? There are a lot of people that don't know they can do that. They don't understand the benefits of the new iOS. And there are a lot of Christians that don't understand the incredible upgrade that God gave them when he died on the cross for them. And even though they are saved, they are not living differently. They're just like everybody. And this is what he's challenging them to. He says, do not conform to this world. Or he's basically saying to this age, you know, I was reflecting on this and thinking it was really funny. If I put up a series of pictures of people wearing clothing on the screen and ask you to say, what decade is this from? Every single one of you could probably pick quite a few of them out because there is distinctive looks to every single decade. Even though we talk in our country about being individuals, we conform to the look of each decade. And occasionally you'll walk up to somebody and jokingly you'll say, so you bought that in the 80s, didn't you? You know, I remember when that was cool. So, thanks for wearing parachute pants to church today. Paul is explaining to the people that God did an upgrade to them, and all of a sudden, they are things that they never were before. And it says, don't just conform to this world to the system of this world, to the way the world sees things, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, the interesting thing about this is that the renewal of our mind is something that the Spirit does for us. It's not something that we do for ourselves. You can't can't sit down one day and go, I'm going to have a renewed mind. I'm going to think differently. You know, the world tries to tell us that, that we can do that. You know, if you just think differently and you say that mantra enough, all of a sudden you're going to be different. But when crisis comes, you know what you're going to be? Exactly how you've always been. 
But there is something amazing that God can do for us. God can give us a new OS. He can change the way we think. I can tell you, praise the Lord, I've been reflecting on this idea. That's probably why it comes up so much. My mind today works differently than it did before I came here. I don't think the same. And you know why that is? Because God has renewed my mind. It thinks differently. It sees things differently. He is bigger. He is greater. He is mightier than he's ever been before. Doing his will is better than ever anything before. But I want to tell you that God wants to upgrade your OS. Now, we have a computer. It looks just like any other Apple Mac computer, except for it's quite old. And it gave me a notice about six months ago. It says, you no longer can upgrade the OS on this computer. It was very sad. But everything seemed to work okay, and so I, I didn't let it bother me. Until one Sunday night when I was leading Awana, and I tried to bring up the computer, and it just decided, hey, you have the wrong OS. I'm not doing it. I'm not helping you out. You know, I think there are times in our Christian life, because we're not letting God renew our mind, we see things that he wants of us. We see a way that he wants us to live. But our, our mind is telling us, you are not upgradable. You cannot change. This is not going to happen. And that is a lie. There is nothing in God's word that he would like us to be or he talks about that people can be, that we cannot be. Unless we buy into the lie of the world. And the, the lie of the world says you can't teach an old dog new tricks, doesn't it? No. You can tell him, you can tell him, but you can't change the mind. That's what it says. And you know these things are true because you're, some of you are raising children. And you think of how many times you tell kids something and they simply do not have the memory capacity to remember that socks go in the hamper. They don't have the memory of that. They don't understand that somehow when you're done in the kitchen, you can turn the light off because there's no one there. It doesn't matter how many times you said these things. But God keeps on saying things to us over and over again. Because he knows his spirit can work in us and he can change us. How does that work? This is what he says about it. I'm going backwards. I'm like, why did it just happen there? Okay. New operating systems actions that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God. I, be I believe that what happens when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior isn't that he completely erases the system and puts a new system in, but he builds this new system on top of the other one, and he gives us new options that we've never had before. We just never had these options. But as the Spirit works in it, all of a sudden the Spirit says, you know, you should probably tell the truth there. Well, I've never done that before, God. 
Well, what's going to happen if I do that? Well, then you will learn that my will is right. Well, but that doesn't make any sense. Nobody else is telling the truth about this. And then you do it, and you watch God bless you because you did it. All of a sudden, God says, you know, this is how I want you to spend your money. Well, I don't know anybody that spends money like this, God. I I don't think it works this way. Your economy doesn't make any sense to my economy. And then you do it, and what do you find, people? That somehow you had more money with the 90% than you did with the 100%. Somehow God's economy works. God says, I want you to love your enemies. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would I want to love my enemies? You know, they're my enemies, God. Are you hearing what we're saying here? Bless those who persecute you. Did you see the word persecute there? That, you know, that, that's not how we do these things. I, I don't want to be a Christian doormat. I, I don't want to do those things. I, I don't want to love these people. I want you to punish these people. That's what I want. I want you just to take care of this. I want you to smoke them, God. I want them to disappear. I want it to be like that video game my son was playing yesterday where he had an enemy and he shot and he just disappeared completely. That's what I want, God. No, I want you to love them. Well, that doesn't make any sense. In the midst of your sorrow, I want you to have joy because I am your God. (laughs) Those two emotions don't go together. We're going to end up with the wrong emotion. But what he says that's so interesting is that he understands that logically in our mind, the way it's built right now, the way it thinks right now, the way it's conformed to the world right now, that he doesn't make any sense. In Corinthians, he says, the world doesn't understand things of the Spirit because they are foolishness unto them. But all of a sudden, he tells us to do something interesting. He tells us to test it. This is an interesting idea. I was watching a woodworking show, and the guy was saying, well, if you want to figure out how you want to finish it, you just need to get out a couple boards and test it. Decide what you like. That's what God is saying here. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I want you to let God transform your mind. He's going to give you ideas and thinking that you've never had before, and you're going to immediately just say that's dumb, and you're going to try to throw it to the side. And I'm going to tell you that what I'm trying to do is transform your mind so that you think differently, so you think like, well, that you have the mind of Christ. That's what I want for you. But I know this is going to be a hard process, so I want you to test it. I want you to test it. Because see, here's the result that you're going to find. You're going to find that it's good, acceptable, and perfect. You know, we like to say God is good all the time, right? We like to say that God is good all the time. I don't hear as many of us saying, obeying God is good all the time. (laughs) You know? Surrendering to God is good all the time. Denying myself is good all the time. But it is. And that's what he wants us to see. 
He wants us to see that if we are willing to let God go through this process where he's slowly transforming our mind, that saying yes to God will be good all the time. You see, he wants to, us to live with a new perspective, which is his mercy. And he wants us to have a new mind, which is being transformed by his spirit, to think differently than we've ever thought before. I like how the message read these verses. It says this, So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, and going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God does for you in the as is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out readily recognizing what he wants from you and quickly responding to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down, to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, developing well-formed maturity in you. You see, the reality is, is we've got to live like we're new. We've got to live like we're different we got to believe that the cross somehow is a pivot point for us that God is going to make a huge difference in our lives. Can you go through life not changing? Yes. Will you be miserable? I believe so. Because what God wants for you is so much more. But first of all, he wants to change your perspective so that instead of seeing yourself as anything less than holy and acceptable to him, you always see yourself as that. And in light of seeing yourself that way, you want to do and sacrifice in your life what he wants. And in your mind, and in those things in your mind that you're seeing, that you struggle with, and you go, I know this isn't right. I've had some of you admit things to me. You know what, Pastor, I worry too much. Well, God wants to change that in your life. Do you know why you know you worry too much? Because he told you. You didn't get up brilliant one morning and go, I think I'm a worrier. That's not how it works. Some of you have explained that you struggle loving sometimes. Did that come to you because you watched a really neat special on television? It was a movie, and, and it had a strong point, and all of a sudden you're like... I just don't love everybody right now. It happened because the Spirit is speaking to you, and He's trying to change you. He's active in you. He wants to pour into you, and He wants to make you better and different than you've ever been before. Are you miserable the way you are right now? That's because the Holy Spirit has explained that to you, because there was a time in your life that you could have rationalized that it was okay to be like this. And now the Spirit is saying, no way. I want to transform you. There's a better that you can be. And then you go, but I can't seem to get there. And he goes, I know. Isn't it awesome? In your weakness, I am strong. I am going to do this thing. If you will trust me in just the little small steps I'm asking of you, I will completely transform the way you think. 
I will change you from being fearful to being fearless in me. I will change you from being critical to praising me. I will change you from being judgmental to being loving like me. I can transform you. But you have to say yes to me. And you have to be willing once in a while to say, but God, if I do that, I'll stop being me. And he goes, I know. You'll be like Jesus instead of just like Jim. I want to transform you. So what are you disappointed in today? What are you frustrated by? What is the Spirit showing you that He wants to change in you? And what lie are you buying into that's anything less that the God of heaven, because of His Son's work on the cross, sees you as holy and acceptable to Him? We probably need to write that on a post-it somewhere. Put it on our mirror. It's more important than I am special, I am important. No, I am holy and I am acceptable to the God who made me. Let's pray. For some of you in this room, this begins by starting a relationship with the God who wants to forgive you. You're busy trying to make up for wrong, trying to cover up wrong. And God is saying, I want to forgive it. And I can make you better. But you have to ask him to be your savior. It starts with that original surrender, that original trusting him. It's admitting that you have a problem and that you need him to solve it. It's saying, dear Jesus, please forgive me. I ask your son to be my savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. If you pray those simple words, you began a relationship with Jesus Christ. But those simple words are what we pray every day. And we need to, as believers, pray, dear God, please let me see myself the way that you see me, holy and acceptable. God, Please help me to stop arguing with your spirit that's giving me better choices to make each day. Help me to take those small steps of saying yes to you each day. God, transform me. I want to live in the new operating system instead of the old one. Help me not to be conformed any longer to this age. And help me to believe that your will is perfect and good and acceptable. Just like you are making me acceptable. God, help me. Transform me. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing one song as we close.